Well, I have the uh, <clears throat> I have the enviable job of talking about food. <laughs> now, how can that be offensive to anybody? Um, well, let's see what happens. Uh, we're going to cover the subject of the Christian, the culture, and food. Now, I want to just have a little fun for a few minutes uh, with you. Um, now here, what you, you, you need something of a fairly decent memory, I guess, for this. I'm interested in what your, your first memory of experience with food. Now, mother's milk and bottles don't count. Okay, we're not going there. But uh, do you, you have a memory. Maybe your first experience was, wow, this is great, or maybe it was... Uh, uh, you know, how don't we begin to form our taste very early in life, don't we? Uh, do I have any, uh, any takers? Any? Oh, Rob is right on it. So, you cut your teeth on bacon. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, Ray? Yeah. Yeah, keep talking. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Uh, Alana? An adverse reaction to applesauce. I've always thought that's kind of a benign. <laughs> uh, okay, so it's not, you don't eat applesauce. Uh, okay. Bam. What? Teethed on pickles. Dill pickles? Okay, okay, that's, uh, 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 I like pickles, uh, but I don't, yeah. Anybody else? Cecil? Oh, that was a big event. <laughs> McDonald's and Hayfuls. Uh, Dan? He said he liked chitlins. Yeah. And Dan Lee liked them. Okay. All right. Dave. Sounds like a southern experience, yeah. Uh, you like to, you like shuck corn? I mean, you like the product. You liked when you got through. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, Stacey? Okay, that's, that's southern. Hal? Okay, the taste buds came alive, didn't they? Yes. Okay, white bread with butter and dip it in 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 coffee. Do you still do that? Do you enjoy it? No. <laughs> uh, we yes.
Okay. Well, that's uh, that's by design that food's connected with uh, with people, and uh, um, we'll we'll see that. Uh, I we could do this the whole time. Food's a fun subject, isn't it? Buddy uh, doesn't like food. Uh, let me read you something with uh, regard to food, which is a pace setter, and one passage that you all know. But let's uh, let's hear it again. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. They had food issues <laughs> in more ways than one. And in the midst of his, we'll come back around to this a little later on, but in the midst of his guidance under the direction of the Holy Spirit with regard to the f- food and how to handle it and how to relate to one another while you're eating, he says, whether then you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Premise is that our approach to food is not morally, spiritually neutral. It is to be a God-honoring experience. Well, does that mean that you have a little moment of worship before you eat a hot dog, before you eat a meal? Well, we give thanks, but what does it mean to honor God with food? What I would like for us to do is we don't, you don't have any handouts, so you're not encumbered with, with that, and we'll fly through. We've got a lot of slides here. What I've attempted to do is just run us through as a sub, sub-story, if you will, a subtext, a it's not obviously the main event in the Bible. The main story, the narrative, is the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, the coming of the Savior, our man's need for the Savior. And yet, if you watch closely here, as I hope this will become evident, that food is attached to the story, the redemptive drama. It's attached to it all the way through. So it doesn't just sit out there as something... Um, neutral, theologically neutral. Let's, uh, let's go then and try to get some of these things considered. That the scriptures speak to all of life. This includes our food life. Quite frankly, some of us, maybe even at this time of life, may need to rethink some things. That, you know, the way food is, because of the pleasure it can bring, or the lack of, is that uh, we can think of it as something that isn't necessarily theologically informed. So this is the focus on the way the Christian should understand the place of food in life. What role does it have in your life, in my life? That we live in a nation which provides what is probably the best food delivery system in human history. I hope you appreciate this. Young people, you really ought to appreciate this. Some of us have lived long enough to know that with this marvelous food delivery system that we have today, it's not always been this good. And Beth and I often will discuss uh, the way things were. You know, as you get older, you do this kind of thing. Where you couldn't get fruit except in season. And one of the highlights of Christmas was that you could get some citrus fruit. You could get oranges. I can remember in the fall of the year, I always associated it with the World Series. Uh, you could get big red table grapes. They were in season. But you just couldn't go any other time unless you wanted to get something frozen. But the food delivery system, though, it's amazing what we have. Just go other places in this world, especially in third world countries. And... Those of you who have been there in these other places, these third world countries, you come back, and it, my experience has been one of the first culture shock experiences I have is coming back and walking into a grocery store. It's overwhelming. And we are blessed as a people, as a nation. The production, processing, transportation, marketing, marketing, food controls, research, the enormity of it all, now, you could say, well, boy, there sure is a lot of government overreach on this. 
And yes, that's true, but that's not the direction I want to go now. But I just saw, by the way, that, uh, where did I see this? It was on the internet. Um, it was that, is it in Seattle? The food police, the garbage disposal people have been authorized to report those uh, people, the, the food that they're throwing away. So you can be culpable, liable for waste and such. Uh, watch out for big government, but still, still, it functions uh, in protecting us in, in incredible ways. Grocery store chains, national, regional, the choices, we just go about this every day. We don't think twice about it, but just look at the availability of what we have in stores and what they have to offer us. And I love grocery stores. I love to go to the grocery store. I, I did when I was a kid. It was just, it was the time that one place there was plenty of food. It was air conditioned. I mean, back in the 50s, that was an odd thing. And I can remember going through, I love to always go by the coffee place in the A&P store up in East Point. And I didn't like coffee, but I sure love to stand there and smell it and to look at food everywhere. It just was satisfying. We live in a culture that, though, encourages excess in eating and eating disorders. And, my, if you sit through any number of commercials, uh, you know, you're just uh, sensory overload. <laughs> and all that food passing before you, plus the way in which uh, this would be another sub-theme to pursue, uh, namely the, the great the challenge that uh, many women face. Men have their problems here too, but women and the way that women are presented and the ideal woman and what to look like and young girls begin to get those impressions very soon in life. Well, I'm supposed to look that way. And then there's the food issue that enters into it. And movies, the fashion industry, all have their impact, influence upon us. Food commercials, uh, boy, they really hammer us, don't, don't they? We could sit here and talk about what's your favorite food commercial. Uh, and let's consider the fact, though, that we live in a nation, though, having an abundance of food, which has created food in food deserts in some places. Now, I have a map here. I'm not speaking so much about the actual geography, um, where the soil may not be as productive. That's not my primary point, is that there are food deserts probably within 18 miles of this church. Uh, John and Rachel Sherwood live in a food desert where people in poor neighborhoods, especially in the inner cities, they don't have transportation and they can't just go to a... Uh, a grocery store that's with all kinds of op options. Um, what may be the nearest thing would be some little convenience store where you can get chicken fingers and french fries, maybe some bread. That's what I mean by food deserts where, where people who don't have much to begin with and the limitations they have. Just And if you, you look around, by the way, you go, if you do any grocery shopping and you go into poor neighborhoods and then compare those grocery stores with the others elsewhere. So we do have some disparities in our own nation, problems of geography and access to food. And <clears throat> we live in a nation where an increasing number of people are dependent on the government for access to food. Uh, at... Uh, Food stamps, 20% of households own food stamps in 2013. Well, you could say, wow, great, people have access to food. Yeah, but is it really your goal to have people dependent on government to be giving you food? I mean, is that the best thing? Um, maybe a means to an end if controlled and handled correctly, but that... Uh, Certainly ought to be a red light on the dashboard for us. But God created a world which could provide for mankind's food needs. And food was available everywhere. Uh, let's let your sanctified imagination roam around the garden a bit. When God put, their, uh, put Adam and Eve in the midst of it, there were no deserts. 
no or other uninhabitable regions, no frozen tundras or ice caps, no rugged high mountain ranges. It was food productive perfect. And that's what God placed where God placed Adam and Eve. Lush vegetation everywhere. Food was abundant for man and animals. And the only restriction given to Adam and Eve and the means by which they would demonstrate their love to God, obeying him, was with regard to food. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this was real food. And it was when Eve saw it, it appealed to her. It was attractive to the eyes, probably to smell as well. And Eve saw that it was good for food. Food is in the story right up front when it comes to the storyline of redemption and sinfulness. And it was by eating that an Adam plunged the world into the curse of death. Thank you, Adam. How was it? Did you enjoy it? Well, <laughs> lest we be too hard on Adam, we have issues. And we're fully responsible for ours as well. But God created food. He saw that it was good. And God made man to eat and enjoy food. He gave him taste buds. I, you know, they say we're born with, uh, I said, somewhere 3,000 to 10,000 taste buds. They're all around the tongue. They're not just areas. The tongue, salt and sweet and, and bitter and so on. There are about a couple of others. But uh, God created us with, with taste buds. Uh, he intended for us to enjoy it and uh, with the eyes to see it and delight in it. This is a good thing. This is part of common grace. He's given this, makes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust to produce food. And <clears throat> God wanted Adam and Eve to enjoy and human race to enjoy food. However, the fall of man and the curse on the ground, in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So suddenly then, food becomes an adversary in a sense. And that man would have to struggle to eat in the future. It would be a battle. Insects, parasites, plant disease, drought, famine. No guarantees of plentiful food, which had existed prior to the fall, prior to the curse on the ground. <clears throat> Actually, some foods would be life-threatening, some things you couldn't eat. That must have been an interesting experience, time of experiment after the fall and you're out of the garden. Uh, hey, don't eat that. Re- remember <laughs> whomever, <coughs> what happened to them. Eventually, man would be a food source for carnivorous animals. Um, Enjoy enjoy your day, but watch out for (laughs) T-Rex. Even among humans, man would be a food source (coughs) to other men, cannibalism. So the whole food blessing then gets mixed with the curse of sin. Food became the test of Adam's obedience. We know that story. We'll have time to go rehearse it all over again. But a host of nature's enemies descended upon the ground. And let's, now I've got to fast forward it and I'm having to skip some minor food issues. But I want to go immediately as we sweep on through Genesis and we get up into God's calling Israel out of Egypt. Which, by the way, you remember that as they were called out of Egypt, what was the thing that immediately set Israel off in dissatisfaction and rebellion against God? Remember what it was? Food. They complained about food. We don't have the, the, gar- the garlic, the leeks, the melons, the, the meat, and the pots, and the fish. They didn't have all that food good life in, in Egypt, and they complained. God's a gracious God, and what did he do? Well, I mean, they got, they got spanked a bit, some mild spankings, but he, what did he do for those 40 years? He sent them manna, meaning, what is it? <laughs> and it rained down manna. For 40 years, God provided 
in this wafer, it was an amazing food substance that it provided all the nutritional needs. It was tasty, what it had a taste of honey. You were to gather it, but you weren't to gather it on the Sabbath. And you were to, God took care of Israel in the wilderness. This becomes really big in the story of redemption. For Well, we'll get to that a little later. Jesus picks up on that theme. And food problem provided by God. Of course, also, you know, he sent the quail. He sent the meat. Uh, God was merciful to them. He knew their needs. Food supply became a test of Israel's heart. Learning to trust God is more important than food. Israel, do you get it? What's most important? Your hunger pains? Your taste buds? Your sense of smell? Your desire to be full and satisfied? Or can you trust God to take care of you and with your food, regard to your food needs? And, all right. Food served an important function in Israel's ceremonial law. When God brought Israel together as a people, as a nation, under Moses, at Sinai, he codified the directions with regard to the five different offering systems. One of those was you could eat it. It was the peace offering. You could have a communal meal. But you offered up, and we may not appreciate this offering up and sacrifice of meat as we should, but do you know to take the best of the herd, to take the best of the animals, and offer them up to God. You are not simply offering up something that was tasty. You were offering up a offering up a food source, a mini grocery store, because you would have depended on that animal for a lot of things. And so God wanted them to see the seriousness of the condition of sin and what it takes to come and offer atonement, atonement with God. A life has to be given, something of great value, without blemish. So it's got to be the best. You can't just go with leftovers and meat of the highest value. A lesson, something's more important than food. What is it? It's your relationship to God. So you begin to see this theme just kind of uh, pulsate. Right on through the scriptures, something's more important than food. Something's more important than food. Well, let's consider that, well, there it is. I anticipated myself. I don't have these notes in front of me, so I'm just using this uh, for a a tracker. Namely, sin and the cost of forgiveness. You can see the enormity of the, the power of the lesson, can't you? That we know what it's like to be hungry. We know what it's like to look at food, and then maybe maybe you do, even you don't, but you give food, you give it away, you offer it up in sacrifice, and it's costly. You feel that. And, ah, <clears throat> can we think about sin? Can we think about what it costs to cover sin and forgive sin? You think that might have a powerful way of coming in as through our sensory system that God was... His way of God was uh, the pedagogical value of food. <clears throat> and the peace offering, which I mentioned, was an emphasis on fellowship with the Lord and having communal meal. But that's the only one in which you could participate. Now, the priests could eat the meat from other offerings. But only this, the peace offering, was the one in which it was a mutual participation God ordained food laws for Israel under the Mosaic law. Now, this is a subject, obviously, it stands on its own two feet as a major, major theme. Uh, all of the specifics, you see, I mean, you go through Leviticus 11, and you can unclean meat, clean, eat this, can't eat that. Uh, you could eat locusts, but you couldn't eat eels. You couldn't eat pig meat, but you could eat... Lamb, you couldn't eat camels. So you have all these stipulations. Uh, 
what was it? I think I've lifted a quote here from Charles Ryrie. I think he's done a good job of summarizing what's at issue. Is to reflect the holiness of God, to keep Israel distinct from the idolatrous practices of the nations around them and to help maintain physical health. <clears throat> in a time, in an era where you didn't have the control of the food chain, say like you would in modern life, that there were some protective measures. But the primary purpose was not to give some special diet. There are those who've latched on to the dietary laws of the Old Testament and who are insistent that these dietary laws are for us today. <clears throat> and I, I remember someone, Rob, you mentioned bacon. I remember we had a guest in our home years ago. They were in town, and they stayed with us, ate with us. They were here. I won't mention the conference. It was a, one of these traveling teachers that had big crowds, and uh, he gave he gave pig meat a hard time. And so, well, Beth had we had some bacon for breakfast, but it didn't take long for us to find out that they were modestly, I guess, modestly offended that there was bacon. I mean, these are. These were not Seventh-day Adventists. These were evangelical Christians who thought that there was some kind of moral issue attached to eating bacon. And um, Which, by the way, now, if you don't like bacon and you don't want to eat pig meat, that's fine. Just don't tell the rest of us that you can't eat barbecue, okay? Because that's just your opinion, and uh, that's not a biblical mandate. But God gave these directions to use the food chain, to use the food system, as he did with a lot of other things, clothing and with the calendar year, every detail of life, so that it would be drilled into Israel's psyche that there is that which God declares right for you and that which he declares is not right for you. And you live by what God says, not what you feel or what the other nations are saying. You obey him. Food is not as important as obedience to God. And in a time of apostasy, food replaced God as a joyful pursuit. Uh, food often leads the parade of hedonism. You find this in the Old Testament with Israel. Uh, they begin to, uh, in their apostasy and a moving away from the law, they would disregard God's directions with these, these offerings and the best meat and who gets it and who doesn't get it, and taking and giving God the, the, uh, the poor, the diseased animals and sacrificed and keeping the best of the livestock for themselves to eat. And it was a sign of what was going on in the heart. Food was more important than obeying God. And you... God used famine, the withdrawal of access to food, as a means of covenant chastening for Israel. This was a huge part of that <clears throat> blessing-cursing uh, motif in the Old Testament. You really can't appreciate the Old Testament in Israel's life without understanding Deuteronomy, Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. God said, if you do this, I'll bless you. If you disobey me, then you're going to get this. And one of those, part of that chastening was withdrawal of food. It would have been blight. It would have been disease. And let me tell you, living in the ancient world, before the food preservation and processing that we have available today, you know, on a good day, it could really be a lot of iffiness with regard to your food. How do you preserve it? No refrigeration. Uh, you have to depend on other things. Uh, and then you've got all these issues that come up, uh, come to you with regard to warfare. Well, well, that would certainly knock out. You can't plant, you can't harvest in time of warfare, um, pestilence and locusts. And, you know, you could be, be a meal or two away from beginning to starve. We, we, just, we don't think this way. We have droughts. You know, we read about California, hear about California, this terrible drought they've had, but we just keep going to stores and we can, we can buy fruit. I don't know. Well, of course, a lot of it comes, you need to look at the grapes. They're not coming from California. They're coming from Brazil or somewhere, Chile. 
and we have a <clears throat> we have a global food <clears throat> uh, supply system, so we can't fully appreciate this when we get a little further along. When the Lord said in His in instructing us to pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, <laughs> and there is something more important than food. It's obedience to God. You get this. Beginning to get the picture here with regard to food and with the way God made us and the delight in food, but yet the delight in food is not to exceed our delight in pleasing God and serving Him with our appetite, with our food preferences. And Jesus resisted the temptation to satisfy His hunger by disobeying God. He could have done it with ease. And actually, He did it later with ease. <laughs> When thousands, maybe at least 10,000 people, he would say, what do we got? We got five barley loaves and two fish. The disciples were, uh, were totally perplexed by this. They said, what are we going to do? You know, they, Philip had his calculator out. They just say, there's no way we can do this. Jesus said, all right, Adam, you know, you know the story. It's a wonderful story of the Lord just taking it and it multiplies itself in his hands and he feeds. But when it was in the, in the wilderness, what did he do before Satan? Satan he looked around at all those stones. And if you look at those stones, you can see it looks, sometimes you think you might be looking at some of that flat unleavened bread that they sell. That bread there is, is uh, quite the thing. It's, uh, I love bread, Ray. I can appreciate that. Uh, I've got bread stories. I've got food stories. I'm having to resist my food stories. But I'll tell you this one, this bread and food and when you're really hungry, uh, my mother would, uh, we, we ate well growing up. We weren't wealthy people. By compared to standards to others, we were poor people. But we ate well. That was what my mother, you know, she grew up in the Depression, and she was sort of like Scarlet, I guess. I'll never be hungry again. You know? And my mother uh, pledged herself to that, and so we were the beneficiaries of it. And in many ways... We did things to provide for ourselves during the winter with frozen peaches and stuff in the old Amana uh, uh, freezer. And, and she would make bread. She would make, well, not only did she make bread, she made, she made, when she went on one of her bread making tears, I could, I would remember coming up from the Jerry Wells school. It was about three blocks from the house. I would be down at the bottom of the hill and the, the windows would be open and the smell of that bread was coming all the way down to the bottom of the hill, and, I, and it was bread that was, oh goodness, I just, right now, I'm salivating, I think of that, in, but I can remember, I just love that for breakfast with some bread on that home, butter on that homemade bread, and Jesus, with all the 40 days, 40 nights, Satan says, hey, come on, you can turn these stones into bread just like that, what's more important than food? Obeying the Father, redemption, not self-reliance, but relying upon the Father and trusting Him and pleasing Him in all ways. Food's not as important as obeying Him. And the redemptive work of Christ was hanging on the resistance to eating that bread. You get the point that goes on through Scripture? Something is more important than our appetite and food. And... All right, we move along here. Um, that Jesus used his miraculous provision of food to reveal his person and his mission on earth. Oh, John 6, the food chapter in the Gospels. You know, can I shorten it? I'll try to shorten it up. He feeds all the people. Well, it doesn't take the people very long like we would have been. We know where you can go and get free food. <laughs> and they followed Jesus. But Jesus saw right through it. He said, you're not following me because who I am, what I'm saying, the message, that's the most important thing. You get hunger pains, and you see me as a means of satisfying your hunger pains. And then he went on, and he really turned the screws. Unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you have no part with me. Ooh, yeah, drinking blood, eating flesh, cannibalism. Well, he was talking about faith as receiving him and assimilating his work of redemption and forgiveness of sin by assimilating that by faith and becoming one with him. 
But well, John 6 is huge on this matter, taking that. And he went on, by the way, it's not over there. He talks about he's the manna that came down out of heaven. Here is the bread that satisfies. And man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. John 6, that's the food chapter in the Gospels. And he uses the occasion to teach that one greater than food had come to earth. It's like human beings, sinful human beings, you get it? There's something more important than your appetites. They're not unimportant. They have been given to us by God, but God is above it all. How does that impact us? Well, let's get along. I got some closing questions. Uh, I was going to point the fact that he offered thanks to the Father. By the way, do you do that when you when you eat meals? If just just a little brief moment here. That do you pause to thank God for the food in front of you, even in a restaurant? You know, to make you know, it's not making a big show, but you thank God. He's the source of it. I like to see people do that in restaurants. You notice people bowing their heads as a group. I think it's important. And Jesus ate with people in order to create, uh, out of his enjoyment of people, to create opportunities to teach the scriptures. Well, this is uh, the table talk of Jesus. He loved to, he loved to, uh, I think, see, if you have a hard time imagining Jesus laughing, just imagine him in one of these. What are you doing? You're eating. You're drinking. You're having a good time. Somebody tells a story. It's, oh, it's music. You're having a good time. And Jesus loved those times. There was a reason why he was accused of being a glutton and a wine-bibber as, as his disciples. His enemies were taking, a, taking it, of course, and were misrepresenting it and putting their spin on it. But he used meals as opportunity to reach out to people. Uh, that's another important theme that comes through in Scripture, using a dinner party, wonderful opportunity to introduce others to Christ. That's where he did with Matthew. Matthew, you know, say, hey, come over to the house. We're going to have a big dinner party, and I want you to meet the guest of honor. I've met him, I know him, and you need to know him. And I think in some ways the Lord's telling us, go thou and do likewise, his children. Find ways to get through to unsaved people through food. Lack of food can bring the loss of their sense of need for God and his salvation. That story of the, the prodigal son and when you get in dire straits and you begin to do it without hunger pains can be the lesson. Um, you know, I'm kind of the end of myself. I can't, I can't feed myself. God could use that to wake you up to who can feed you, what's most important. Something more important than food, namely the forgiveness of sins. Hello? <laughs> Isn't this coming through all the way here? What's most important? And using that which we all love and appreciate, namely food and appetite and taste. The dietary restrictions established under the Mosaic Law was set aside in the church age. I won't go through this again, but listen, it's free. It's open. Now, I know in a group like this, there's some of you... You've got yours. We all are like this. We've got our opinions about food, don't you? I've got mine. You've got yours. And we think, mine are good opinions. <laughs> and, and then we pretend to live a little longer than some other people, and then maybe it can get worse. But my opinion's really good because I'm still living, and I know all these other people, but they didn't like, they're dead. <laughs> and uh, be careful. <laughs> Thank God for genetics. Thank God for his grace, and he lengthens our days, and we all have our food stories and preferences. But God has given us, he's given us an open menu, and it just takes wisdom as to how you use that uh, open menu. Eat the right stuff. And Christians are responsible to provide food for themselves through gainful employment, otherwise so not to depend on others. I don't need to labor that point in Second Thessalonians. If you don't work, you don't eat. You're not to be a freeloader. And you've got to feed your family. That's your responsibility. It's not the church's responsibility to feed people. Now, there are situations that come up where the church may go and provide it and can have things in common. Now, we could go through that lesson, but I think you get the point. That Christians are to be willing to avoid certain foods if it hinders the weak conscience believer from being taught the scriptures. That's where I, we came in this morning in 1 Corinthians 10. And the whole the story was, what do you do with the meat that's offered up to idols? Good meat, 
And it would be offered up to the idols. It could be sold in the marketplace. You could go to the restaurant, the embers, whatever the name of the restaurant was associated with the temple. You could go there and you could get a nice, uh, you know, filet mignon, uh, New York strip. You could get these good cuts of meat and so the Christians and the, the church, uh, Jews, were offended that the, anything that was associated with idols was just total taboo. And then you had some, Christ, some Gentiles who had come out of that pagan world who were just hypersensitive to it. And then you had the others say, hey, it's, uh, we can eat it. We have the freedom to eat it. So you had this tension and this conflict. And Paul comes back around saying, oh, wait a minute, there are those who, we've all got to get our consciences biblically informed. So let's don't make an issue out of certain food. If you've got a friend who's got an issue with, um, well, I can't get, I was going to give you an example. Of, if you're trying to witness to someone who's got an issue with pork or even somebody with caffeine issues, uh, you know, you're looking for ways to minister to people, not rub their noses in something that, until they can get biblically informed. And, uh, all right, let's get along here. There are times when food will not be eaten in order to concentrate on prayer and special time to focus on God. That's when we set aside food in fasting. And if you've never done it, you do so. How do you do it? You do it privately. You do it quietly. And you may want to start out, just skip a meal, maybe two meals. You'll find that, you know, it is amazing you find this out when you get sick, not <laughs> even fasting. You know, when you're not encumbered with food, you do get a lot of left. You've got some time on your hands, don't you? How much goes into preparation and cleanup and food's not in the picture. So fasting, though, since, Lord, i got to get with you and I need to move food to the edge of life for a while. That's the point of it. And all foods to be eaten for the glory of God, to honor him. And he's glorified when we share food with the poor. There are people who need food. You you may want to go and you you know somebody's got a real need. You go and you buy a gift uh, card at Publix or Kroger, and you can help someone in that way or many different ways. Or taking soup in time of need. And the ladies, the food uh, ministry that we have here. We've been on the receiving end of that, and those of you who have as well, you know, oh, what a help that is, especially you're down and you, uh, what a blessing. It's a way to minister to one another and eat food with contentment. And I've got to get into these. God is glorified when we thank God for the food. He's glorified when we are good stewards of our bodies, that we ought to take care as to what we eat and how much we eat. Um, this is not a, a spiritual or morally neutral matter. Um, i get that a little further along. Let's see. Balanced diet, meeting nutritional needs, self-discipline. Uh, I know this is a very touchy thing, and you don't want a thin person up there talking to you about uh, what you should and shouldn't eat, but this is beyond uh, what the person is uh, the person saying it is that, uh, well, I got a question here, so let's just get to these questions here without, I don't want to. God is glorified not by the abuse of our bodies, by self-indulgence and gluttony, but by careful consumption of foods that promote good health. So we, we have a responsibility to God to think through when we go to the grocery store and when we eat. Maybe we shouldn't eat this. Maybe I don't need a second helping or a third helping. Maybe I shouldn't. Um, maybe I need to eat more than I'm eating. Oh, you can see the ways this, this can go. And um, these old eyes have seen some things um, you're able to see. And I wonder sometimes about sometime, well, that might really get somebody all stirred up of what I've seen. Um, okay, all right, I'm, I've got to get along here. All food is good, but all food may not be good for us. How are you on your nutritional wisdom? Do you try to, do you, or do you just eat like you were raised? Maybe that was good, maybe it wasn't. But do you look into nutritional value of food? Um, be careful, you know, you can get opinionated and obnoxious and nobody would ever want you to come to eat with them. You don't want to go there. But at the same time, 
do some study, do some reading, and know what you should and shouldn't be. I'm thankful for a wife, my dear Beth, who has just been so good with uh, in the kind of food she's prepared for our family through the years, and uh, and the, the control of certain things, not an unnecessary, you know, not a lot of grease and fried foods and. Just eating whatever, whatever you, you feel like, whatever your taste buds want, but pre- preparing good meals. And I, I don't mean for this to sound self-serving, but she has helped us, both of us in the family, function at a level consistently with, I think, some kind of reasonably good health for 50 years because she's been conscious of she thinks about him. She goes to the store and she works at it. And all right, uh, thank you, Beth, for taking care of us. Thousands and thousands of meals. Um, God is glorified when we believe that food was given by God so that we can live to serve him. He's glorified when we set aside food for the sake of others. Some takeout questions. All right, we've got to go fast. Now, this is where we're going to kick some shins. So, okay, okay, get ready. Uh, some takeout questions. Is food more important to you than God? What is it? Why are you asking me that? Well, we could get real personal and we could get, uh, we could find out, you know, your eating habits and such. And so we all can be maybe implicitly we're taking food as more important than God because we're not thinking, what's going to honor you, Lord, with my diet? Do you try to comfort yourself with food? Um, you know, food can be a comforting thing. We were at a memorial service the other day, and there was food afterward. You know, you went and stand that, and you sit down, and oh, who loves to sit down? We had macaroni and cheese. That's always seemed to be a real comfort of food. By the way, I used to really be down on macaroni and cheese, and then I read, I'm always reading whatever I can, and I read somewhere macaroni and cheese is really a good protein source, so I guess the kids aren't wrong. It's just that they need to eat more than macaroni and cheese. <laughs> and um, Do you complain about food? Um, are you socially limited by your eating habits? This is a cultural problem. I don't understand this. This is a little soapbox. I know I was just never, it was never tolerated in our growing up home. The children didn't sit there. I don't want that. I wouldn't say that to my mother. I'll never forget the battle royal we had one time when she had this cooked stuffed bell pepper. And it looked awful to me. And I just was not going to eat this stuffed cooked bell pepper. Showdown. Everybody's gone. Everybody's gone. Howard's still there at the table looking at that. She won. But I don't understand parents who cultivate this in children. Unless you've got some severe allergy, I understand that. But... uh, but parents who start, and I will tell you, when children then get out and they go to other homes with people, and suddenly they can't eat this, they can't eat that, it's, it's a little embarrassing. Uh, okay, I'll leave it at that. Um, is being thin more important to you than your health? Um, need I say more there? Okay. Um, I'll let the ladies take care of that one at the ladies' retreat. You know. Um are there people with whom you refuse to eat because of pride, prejudice, jealousy, anger? Um, begin to pull back away. You don't. Uh, you, there are people that you stiff arm. You don't have over, or you don't. You don't sit at the table where they're sitting. Yeah. Um, do you starve yourself? Deny yourself food as a means of penance, punishing yourself? Uh, can be done. Thinking, uh, Lord, see what I'm not eating. Am I pressing you? Um, Jesus, you remember, he said, it's not what goes in that defiles you. It's your thoughts. It's your heart. What's going on there? Do you use food as a means of vengeance? Trying to gain weight back to get at your spouse. 
Oh, my, that opens up a can of worms, husbands and wives and their tensions and the eating and some things husbands can say to their daughters, fathers to their daughters and to their wives. And, um, okay, we've got out of, about out of time. That Do you allow your children to determine what they will or will not eat? I would address that one. Is your home frequently divided over the issue of food? I know there are some families that uh, just have different meals uh, or none at all. And because of what the, maybe the kids just won't eat hot dogs all the time. Nobody's here like that, I'm sure. But uh, that, that uh, are the children driving the food agenda in the home and bases it based totally on taste? Or is it the nutritional needs that the children have that should be taken into account? And do you frequently eat more than you should? Do you tend to buy food based on taste rather than on good nutrition? And, uh, hey, this is a battle for any of us. Um, Why there's certain parts of the grocery store I walk through. I say, whoa, you know, I can look at those things. I know what's in them. And I don't think in a case. My, My approach has been through the years to these things that you might consider toxic. I'll confess one of them is like cream horns. I love cream horns. <laughs> but I know what's in them. And I know, that, okay, a cream horn every once in a while is not going to hurt you. <laughs> unless you're really allergic to coconut oil, which is, you know, there's saturated in it. But uh, that's my approach. Just moderation. It answers a lot of our problems rather than just totally all or nothing. And, but... Um, Anyway, uh, whoa, we're out of, uh, that's it, I made it on time. Uh, now, go home and enjoy your dinner. <laughs> and I hope it's an enjoyable one. And thank God when you sit there and you thank you, Lord, what we have before us. Isn't eating fun? And thank you, Lord, for providing for us. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us so many good things to enjoy. But Lord, most of all, to enjoy you, to please you, to honor you with what we eat, what we don't eat, when we eat, how we eat, where we eat, the attitudes that we have when we do eat. Lord, that will honor you as your people, you, the giver of all good things. In Christ's name we pray, amen.